Welcome back to the Chris Yeh Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh, and I am rejoined by my partner at Blitzscaling Ventures, Scott Johnson, and today we're going to talk about venture deals for August of 2020. Scott, say hello. Hey, Chris. I always enjoy doing this with you, so looking forward to it. So the first thing we should really discuss is the pace of investment. So how many deals did we see in August 2020 and how did that compare to the previous year? Last year, uh, 2019, deal count in August was, these are just the deals for the firms that we follow. As you remember, we follow about 30 of the top tier venture firms. They did 86 deals last August. So that was, you know, pretty, pretty good number. Usually they're around 100. So there's the sort of the natural summer dip happening there. But this year it was down to 54. So I don't know exactly what to attribute that to. I think there's the usual summer dip thing going on. But beyond that, is it COVID? Is it uh, just some you know, larger deals uh, taking up that we, we have to do further analysis to figure that out? But it's definitely a, a material decline. It is interesting because I remember when this pandemic began, telling entrepreneurs, I'm not sure what's going to happen in August, because usually there's this massive dip in August. And the question is, would there be a dip this year, considering that people could not necessarily go on vacations? And it looks like the answer is there was a dip. And that probably is a reflection of the fact that I dramatically underestimated the willingness and capability of rich people to go on vacation. That <laughs> could, could well be it. Uh, okay, so um, of those 54 deals, we took a look and there were about 10 of them that sort of caught our eye as possibly blitz scalable. Remember, we looked through all of them and we, as Chris puts it, swipe left and swipe right on ones that might be interesting. And then we have a more in-depth discussion on the ones that could possibly be blitz scalable. And this year, uh, sorry, this month, we came up with one that looks like we could really pursue it as a possible investment at Blitzscaling Ventures. Uh, we're going to talk about another deal that sort of had the, the elements of Blitzscaling that made, it, made, us, made me think that it might be something we would want to look at. But we're going to dig into that one and explain why that did not meet the test in the end. And so the first one we're going to talk about is Crossbeam. This is a Redpoint deal. They did a Series B with $25 million. And what they do is they help you with partnerships and they help one biz dev professional benefit from the work of another biz dev professional. So if you've got two companies and each of them has a bunch of customers and a bunch of partners and you get those companies to share their target list. So I, I want to partner with these 20 companies and my buddy over there wants to partner with these other 20 companies. If we have good corresponding targets where my targets are his customers and his targets are my customers, then if we get together, I can make intros for that person and that person can make intros for me and we can greatly accelerate the biz dev process. So Crossbeam has created a platform that enables this. And we think this is pretty exciting. Yeah, I love this business model because there are several elements that I find particularly exciting. The first of all is that it is the kind of software or service that you sell to the sales organizations. 
And this, these are the parts of the company that are responsible for revenue. And therefore, these are the parts of the company that have budget. They are allowed to spend money if it allows them to make more money. And this is something that is always going to be in style. It is also the case that this particular business model is responding to a deep-seated need that people have always had. This is something where it's like, why didn't this exist before? Because I've been in many times in an operating position where you want to work with your partner company, but nobody wants to share their list of customers. Everyone's reluctant to hand over the keys to the kingdom. And the logical thing was to set up an organization that could be that trusted intermediary to which both sides could hand their data and that data would be brought together, but in a way that's safe. So obviously it's going to be very important for Crossbeam to demonstrate that it's trustworthy, but assuming it does that, this is solving a deep-seated need for a group of people that have the ability to pay. That makes it very appealing. That's great, Chris, but why is this split scalable? In other words, why is there a winner-take-most opportunity here? Uh, well, as we know, the key factors that go into blitz scalability are whether it's a winner-take-most market and whether or not there is a good scalable distribution strategy. So let's tackle each of these for Crossbeam. In terms of the network effect, what's great about Crossbeam, and they even lean into it themselves on their websites, they call themselves the LinkedIn for data. And what this means is that as more and more companies join Crossbeam and their data becomes available on Crossbeam, it becomes that much more valuable for every other partner. Because all of a sudden, when you're thinking about, you know, have I, do I have the ability to partner with this organization? All of a sudden you can go to Crossbeam and see that they're on Crossbeam and say, hey, let's figure out if we have a chance to work together. And that really helps out because now all of a sudden, anybody who's looking at Crossbeam doesn't have to think, well, is this going to work or not? Instead, they're looking at, here's this long list of potential partners. And if I just join Crossbeam and hook up my data, Crossbeam can tell me who I should partner with. So that's incredibly valuable from a network effect perspective. And then on the virality side, if you decide to go with Crossbeam, then of course what you want to do is you want to bring all of your existing partners onto Crossbeam as well. So you could get even better at cross-selling with them. And so Crossbeam has that vital combination of a strong reason for the network effect to kick in and virality in the distribution. And that means that even though it didn't score well enough to be perfect on both of these, we gave it nine out of 10 on network effects and nine out of 10 on distribution. Those are still good enough scores in the key blitz scalability metrics to make this an interesting company. Yeah, and, and this, uh, this customer pain or this opportunity really that they're figuring, uh, figuring out how to solve is extraordinarily high value. Uh, as a VC investor for 20 years, I'd say about a third of the requests I get from CEOs of portfolio companies is, who do you know at X company? Who do you know at uh, American Express that can help me with partner with them? Who do you know, like just today, who do you know at Robinhood and who do you know at 1Password? Those were two requests I got today. And so fortunately, Chris has a good connection over at Robinhood that I can, I can use, but uh, really you have to sort of dig into your networks and it's very inefficient. It's, it's sort of haphazard and LinkedIn helps a little for sure, but this is really getting at the core of the problem and not just surfacing who do you have already know who knows somebody, but this company Crossbeam can say, you know, company A, you should be partnering with company C 
because I see a lot of opportunity between the two of you. That's a partnership you might not have otherwise thought of, but Crossbeam's making you aware of it. So the amount of value that they can add to me is extraordinary. Absolutely. And then, so when we look at the company as a whole, we look at things like the product market fit. Here, we're guessing a bit. We think it's pretty good. It's a complex product, so we're not going to give it a perfect score right off the bat. We'd really like to dive deeper, talk to some customers. We'll give it a provisional eight. And then for the rest of the net metrics, market size, gross margin, scalability, this is a classic enterprise software online kind of product that means it gets very high scores for all of them. It's a huge market size because you're selling to anyone who wants to sell stuff and uses stuff like Salesforce or HubSpot. It has great gross margins because it is a software product. It is highly scalable, both from an org side and an ops side because it's all being done via APIs. So when we put all that into our formula, we end up with a total blitz scalability score of 83 which is very good and clears the 80 point threshold for interestingness. This is the kind of company that we look to invest in at Blitzscaling Ventures. So for sure, we're going to be reaching out to them and, and inquiring about that. The, um, the last time we saw an enterprise software company that had good viral growth was Slack. And we all know what happened to Slack. And Zoom is another one. So when enterprise software meets virality, you can create an enormous amount of value. And uh, by the way, if you look at the most valuable enterprise software companies, often they have a CRM component. Salesforce, of course, is the leader. And just take a look at that market cap. So we, we have sort of the, the CRM aspect of budget where, you know, people will spend to get customers and, and really spend to get more customers and then and more revenue. And then the other aspect of virality, which, you know, is sort of slack solved and you, you put those two together and you could get a really, really valuable business here. Yeah, so. it sounds like an exciting one. Now, the other company that we're looking at this month is Steno. And this is one that you highlighted, Scott. So why don't you talk about what got you excited about this company? Well, I wouldn't say excited. You know, that first pass that I do to just take a look at what deals should Chris and I really examine more closely is, okay, is there a two-sided marketplace here? Yes, there is. Okay, let's take a look at it and we'll dig deeper. And really, so that's what we'll do now uh, for our audience here is to sort of go through that process that you and I went through where it's initially, okay, it's a two-sided marketplace. Let's take a look to, eh, this is not the kind of two-sided marketplace that we should really invest in. And I think it's really informative for everyone to understand the difference between a high value network effect two-sided marketplace and one that probably won't be so high value and that's what steno is going to be instructive for today so what steno does is they offer court reporting stenography if you will that's when people write stuff down in shorthand and other litigation support services and they do this on what their website terms a deferred payment non-recourse basis. Basically what it means is you can use Steno for your case and if you lose your case, you don't have to pay. But if you win your case, you have to pay up. So it's basically providing these litigation related services on a contingency basis. Now this is pretty interesting for the legal industry because if you think about it, this is antiquated beyond belief. You have court reporters, you see them in every movie showing up there with a little machine, typing up what people are saying and producing those transcripts. It has to be done, but 
boy, this has not typically been something that is really advanced. And what Steno does is it brings it into the 21st century. It makes it easy to get the court reporter over. Scott, I think you mentioned that you've been in depositions or other proceedings where you were everyone was waiting around because the court reporter was late. Yeah, that's right. So money's burning. And if you are a contingency litigator, then one of your biggest upfront costs is the stenography. And so it's, 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 it's really expert witnesses and stenography and your time. And so to the extent you can improve those things, uh, you know, so I, th I think there's a great business model innovation here. And I think the product market fit score is really high in that you are really getting at one of the big pain points of these contingency litigators as they do depositions. And so you're, you're reducing their upfront costs and therefore enabling them to take on more clients potentially, uh, and then you're participating in the upside to the extent you're part of cases that do well. So I, I love the business model. I think it's really innovative and cool. On the other hand, you know, if, when you look at the network effects, Chris, what do you see? Well, this is a case of a company essentially being sunk by a single metric, which is the network effects and land grab. So if you think about the network effects involved, as you know, network effect means that each additional person who uses it makes it more valuable for everyone else. So if somebody else uses Steno to bring in a court reporter, how does it make it better for you? In fact, it doesn't. And part of the issue with court reporting and these other services is they're essentially commodity services. There's no superstar court reporter. People are like, this is the Michael Jordan of court reporters, the LeBron James of court reporters. I have to get this person. No, it's just whoever shows up, they take notes, right? They're basically a human transcription machine. And so because it is essentially a commodity and there's no difference between them, there is not this same value to the two-sided marketplace. This is the same reason that something like a Lime or a Bird, the scooter and bike rentals are not really that effective. It is a commodity product. Now, Steno is going to do a little bit better than those folks because at least this is a reasonably high value transaction. But the fact is, let's say Steno is successful. How difficult is it going to be for someone else to come in and say, hey, you know, in addition to Steno, there's Graffer, and Graffer also lets you get your court reporters on demand and do it on a contingency basis. And if you're a court reporter, why don't you just sign up for both? So it becomes very difficult to have that sustainable competitive advantage, even though, technically speaking, it looks like a two-sided marketplace. As a result, we gave this a very low number. Again, you can just plug and play court reporters, as you heard. So we gave it two out of 10. And because of that, it drags the Steno Blitz scalability score all the way down to a 50. Yeah, I mean, it does pretty well on the other metrics. I think it could be a good business. It's just you shouldn't blitz scale this. You should, you should build it up in an in a economically rational way. It doesn't matter if you're the global first mover at scale here. Uh, I think it certainly matters that you're big and you have enough people on both sides of the marketplace to make a good match when people need a good match. But overall, I, I, I don't see a way ultimately that this should be blitzscaled and therefore, you know, we're, we're not going to be an investor. So I just, I think this is a good window into our process, Chris, where we see something, okay, this is a two-sided marketplace. Let's really break it down and understand it better. And coming out on the negative side is, is certainly something that happens quite a bit, even with two-sided marketplaces that appear to have good network effects all the time. There's network effects and then there's network effects. And so there are some network effects here. They're just not strong enough for us to continue with the due diligence on this company. 
And again, Steno has a great investor. First Round Capital is a widely respected VC. I have worked with various partners there over the years. I think they're very smart. They've done a great job. They have a great track record. And the reason they can make an investment like this work is because they're a seed stage firm. They're putting in three and a half million dollars at a relatively low valuation. They can grow it perhaps more slowly. They could still get a good exit and make money off of it, but it's not a fit for the blitzscaling venture strategy. Yep, a good investment that's just not for us. And I think that does it for this week's companies. So it was a, a limited pool of investments and we have a limited number of companies to talk about this week. So I think that's a wrap. Yep, and I think we'll just continue watching the tape. Very curious to see, are we gonna see a rebound from the August doldrums in the September deals? Or is it something where we're gonna continue to see the lingering effects of COVID-19 affecting the venture marketplace? Tune in next month to find out. On behalf of Scott Johnson, this is Chris Yeh, and thank you for listening.